0: A.W. Tosa once said this, that this world is a playground instead of a battlefield, has not not been accepted, has now been accepted in practice by the vast majority of people, especially fundamentalist Christians. See, there's a stark contrast between a battleground and a playground. I wonder if you have ever fought physically um, with someone close to you Um, A sibling or friend, uh, someone at work, someone that you've disagreed with whilst growing up. It's clear that uh, quarrels and fights they occur quite often with those that we're close with, those we come into contact with that are in our personal space, right? Maybe at school, those that we live with. See, whilst I was at uni, I I had a friend. um, This was probably second year of uni that I stayed with two of my friends. And uh, my mum used to cook a batch of jollof rice and uh, bring it to me and I'd put it in the freezer. So I'd line it up had a chest freezer and we all used to use it, put the jollof rice in there. But every so often my friend would go into the freezer unknowingly, to me anyway, eat my jollof rice. And I didn't realise until I did a stop take one day. Just like, mm. These numbers are not quite the same, right? They're not quite the same as what I I put in there. And um, so, one, this used to happen quite regularly. And so, one time I I asked my mum just to put a little bit more (laughs) chilli, right? Just to spice it up a little bit. And uh, (laughs) that seemed to deal with the issue, let's just say. Okay? But there was a little bit of um, strife, let's say, between us. But that's that's playground stuff. But there are times when there is tension between God's family. There are issues that gripe us. There's things that cause us to war with one another. And this is certainly the case here with James. We learn from James in chapter 3 um, that there are only two types of wisdom in operation with every human being. It's either you're one or the other. There is the worldly wisdom that's earthly, that's unspiritual, that's demonic. That's chapter three and verse fifteen. Whilst well, there's a wisdom that's from above, a wisdom that's first pure, it's gentle, it's peaceable, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. We see that in chapter three verse seventeen. And we concluded last sermon by that a person that's peaceable is filled with wisdom, and then they reap righteousness. They reap the fruit of righteousness. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's how we conclude it. As with usual with James, he has this method that he moves quickly from one imperative to another. And he transitions here from peace and now he talks about war. Such a contrast. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, he asks. What are these quarrels? That word here, polymos, is where we get the word polymic. That contentious, that warring that goes on, a strong attack on someone or something, an armed war. Such a strong word that he's using to describe these statements. What causes quarrels? He's saying what causes war among you? What causes fights? He's asking us. What causes conflict among you? We have a sense of two things. We have war that's going on, a full war, a battle, engagement of two armies. Conflict, disagreements and arguments. Maybe not quite as the war, but the battles that occur in, in, in war, right? War is not just one occasion, there are battles along the way. And so we see a seriousness here in his words that describes this clashing conflict between God's people. Now James here illustrates these strong words, the magnitude and the effects of such interactions. He's saying to us that to some James, he may be too strong with what he's saying in this discourse, but if we take any lesser approach, then actually we don't see the seriousness of what he's talking about. There's an indication here of the seriousness of the contentions between the members of the body of Christ. See, we often think that these these Christians, especially the early Christians, these New Testament Christians, that they were in great unity. We know they were, right? They shared everything. Everything was coming to them. Their love for one another, right? Their belongings. They shared their wealth. But we can't also miss the reality that. Maybe butter couldn't melt in their mouth. They, they, they weren't as perfect as we think that they were. They are just humans as us. In reality, there is, there is no doubt that they argued with one another. There was contentions amongst them as there is when we are so close with one another. Some weren't as lovely as we thought they were. See, there are times when where quarrels and fights are justified. Sometimes, right? Our fights against sin, right? That's justified. When we call out sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. There's a fight against false teachings and, and falsehood. We, we, we study these, these things in, in Bible studies, right? But then we, we also should attack against that lack of zeal within us. But to do the things of God, the laziness concerning the things of God. But this is not what James is addressing here. James has in mind the, the quarrels and fights among Christians, at home maybe, at at church, in groups of our Christian friends, or within family. Often we it's not we don't argue about the five points so of Calvin, talking, right? Those are not things that we struggle with. You know, as a pastor once said that A pastor once said. He said this: that the fiercest battles in our churches are seldom um, fought over theology. It's about change. Sometimes, sometimes little, subtle changes, and that's why, indeed, we can add to these things. Sometimes, personality, right? Sometimes, it's the music preferences. Sometimes, it's the preaching style. Sometimes, it's that that person didn't acknowledge me. They walked past me. They didn't say, "Hey, bro." They just, they just ignored me. It can rile us up. Why didn't they say hello? Sometimes it's—I've been an usher. Up, maybe not necessarily this church, but you—you—you you, you sit someone somewhere. and like, no, that's my seat over there. <laughs> I just, I've, I've been there for many years. You know, people can get riled up so easily. But well, James makes it really clear that such war leads to murder such strong wording again murder conveys the outcome of such feelings whilst he's talking in a figurative sense he's it's nevertheless murder we know this james the half brother of jesus is so familiar with the sermon on the mount which says that you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but Jesus, this is what Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fall will be liable to hell or fire. Jesus makes a comparison between murder, the physical killing of another human being, and the raging anger. Burned within us, the heart of pain, the heart of man, they both suffer the same consequences, both liable to judgment. So Jesus essentially is saying that the outward act of murder is held on the same account to the internal display of displeasure and anger that rages within us. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel see the present continuous tense of this statement suggests that these quarrels and fights were actively present even at the time James is writing to them these people were in dispersion these people were under persecution they've been dispersed in their homes and yet there was still strife Where have we seen this type of anger before that burns so deep when we look back right from the beginning in the life of Cain, we see the anger and what that caused. Right at the beginning, Cain having brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground, became angry because his offering was not in good standing with God. It was not regarded by God. And Genesis 4 or 5 states this, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And then verse 8 says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, and he took him away, so they slipped away, he walking and talking. And then Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. See, sadly, one of the effects of the fall of man in the garden was the strife of even brothers. Even brothers, human to human strife. War, contentions, conflict, and the like. See, a test of our faith is the health of our relationship with other believers. That's what James is saying. This is another series of tests. He's taken us through the test of, of suffering. The test of the word of God. The test of, of temptations. The test of of. of, 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 of of looking ourselves in God's word and, and do we act upon it or do we just read it? Now he's taking us through the test of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you dwelling with your brothers and sisters in Christ? What is your relationship with your spouse, your parents, your colleagues, your friends and your neighbours? How is it like? Do you, how is that interaction? Most especially though to those of the house of the faith... We are to love one another with brotherly affection. The Bible says to outdo one another in showing honour. That's Romans 12.10. To everyone, believers and unbelievers also, if possible, the Bible says that we so far as depends on us, that depends on you, live peaceable with all. Romans 12.18. These are the marks of a true Christian. There is a responsibility on both sides of war for a resolution. When we recognize each of us as sinners, only saved by grace, in Christ alone, then peace surely is the only outcome that we want. Peace has got to be the outcome that we seek. What would cause great conflict and division between these Christians who have seen Christ, some of them, who have heard Christ? who have stood for Christ, who have faced persecution for Christ. They've loved one another in Christ. They suffered lost for Christ. What has brought this tension between them? See, praise be to Christ that there is, we have this freedom in Christ. That even in persecution, even this persecution that they faced, right? They had this freedom. That they could live for him, right, knowing that they had an expected end, but we mustn't take this freedom for granted. that freedom is never an opportunity to display the workings of the flesh. As Paul reminds us this in Galatians 5:13. We cannot say that freedom in Christ culminates in addressing our brothers and sisters with loose words, or making assumptions. Without addressing the issues of the heart and the motive, look inside of us. (laughs) See, our freedom is to give us that posture of servitude. It should cause us to deny ourselves because we love others. It should cause us to want to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, not to bring them down with our words or our deeds. Galatians 5, says this, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by another, by one another. See, the end of combat war that we know of the world wars, right, in the 20th century and before that, it's not based on the initial motive and intentions of the party that initiates the conflict. War usually ends because someone surrenders Surrender! We surrender our desires, we surrender those things that rage within us. Surrender them to who? Surrender them to God. Bring them to fall. I wonder if you are luggerheads with your spouse or your brother or sister or someone that's professing to be a Christian. They may have hurt you in ways that you thought were this is not possible. How could they have done this to me? How are these? issues or conflicts to be resolved how should reconciliation even begin what should it look like well there is a war first to be fought there's a war that's, wor- that, that's, that's worth fighting first and it's the fight that occurs inside of us this is the war that occurs in us that's damaging us that's warring in our stomachs and our hearts and our minds It's greater than the war between ourselves. This is our second point. The war within. The war within. Look at verse 1 with me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? See, James gives a response to the initial question by raising a further question. He says, he particularly looks like, he likes to structure these questions like, that's what he does. It, he, he always puts questions within another question, he's asking. Like giving you a rhetorical question. Like a good teacher does to draw something out of you. See the first point, the war without pointed us to war between ourselves, but there is never an external resolution without an internal revolution. It's got to be chained within us. The true test of a person's character is internal dealings that are not on show. It's things that we can't see with our physical eyes. The reason why we are sometimes at war with each other as Christians because we are at war with ourselves. What does James mean when he says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? The word passion can be translated as pleasures, as things we seek. James has in mind the passions and pleasures of the flesh, which rage in the heart of of mankind. That's at the root of every vile practice. If you remember last sermon, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition are, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What we have in chapter 4 now is this fleshing out of what he said previously. These pleasures, if they're not brought under control, will result in fights and quarrels amongst us, strife and so forth. What are these passions and pleasures? What are the passions and pleasures in your life? What are the pleasures and passions of my heart? I believe he has in mind here those selfish desires, confessions. Those feelings of despair and discouragement when we meet trials of various kinds. We want to take things into our own hands. We have this anxiety. Why is oh, God not doing anything in this situation? He's spoken to us about this in James 1 verse 2. There's some desires as well. That lack of wisdom. Not knowing what to do in difficult times. We seek sometimes wisdom of our own or others other than God. Those doubting of God's goodness in the face of adversity of t- and testing times. Maybe financial trouble or overdependency of what we have, our belonging, our riches, our gifts. Or maybe our inability to remain consistent with our emotions. James talks about this. Our God is unchanging, but with us, our emotions, they change from day to day. Right? Sometimes it's sports that makes us happy for a moment. But when we lose a game, when your team loses a game, like your emotions have gone out the window. We can be like that even just in our walk, right? Desires to have our own way and the attitude always to be correct. We have that, don't we? We have that within us that I want to be right. That enforcing our will on others. When we know it's only through God's will that we are brought forth, James says. We are brought forth by the word of his truth. We are rash to speak, quick to get angry because of, James says, the filthiness and the rampant wickedness wickedness that exists in our hearts. It's the deception of the heart to hear the word of God and yet not acting on those words. Those are some of the desires as well we, we seek in wrong places. The word that we hear doesn't profit us sometimes because we're not seeking to do God's will, we're not reflecting on his word, we're not memorizing the scriptures, we're not studying. Them. See if you remember the story about my friend in, at uni, what causes that desire to inflict pain on his lips? The reality is me. It's my heart. My selfishness. I didn't want to share my jollof rice. So my mum has cooked that for me. But he is a hungry uni student. Not willing to give food to another hungry uni student. are both trying to survive together. The passions of the flesh. A war against the soul. Causing conflict with others. When we look at the cause of quarrels, we mainly look at the external factors. Who said what? He did this. He said that. But what we read here is an examination that goes far deeper. The origin of our the origins are the internal passions and lusts and pleasures that we seek. We see what we see is the internal war of passions. That word there says idon. Those, those things that we engage in, that pursuit of pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification, and spills over into our relationships. See, that word war is the same word that's also in Romans 7.13, which says this, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. That dwells in my members. In my body. 1 Peter 2.11 says this also. Beloved. I urge you as soldiers. And exiles. To abstain from the passion of the flesh. Which wage war. Against your soul. It's an eternal battle. James. Implies the same meaning. Here. Sin. It's at war within us. It rages in us, within us, as in the case of Cain. We can't absorb ourselves in the reality that we are not so dissimilar to Cain. Sin within us is actively seeking to destroy us. Its motive is death. It rumbles beneath the surface, speaking. Of a lack of control. This warfare is like a slugfest. I don't know if you've watched the recent fight between Joshua and Fury. Going at it. It's the war. They're raging. Trying to seek to knock us out. These desires are not always evil, however. Or sinful. These desires sometimes are for the legitimate things. The things that we pursue. Our work. Family but they can be out of control and if they're not subjected to God's plans and purposes then they become desires that we place above God himself. See, uncontrolled desires conceive chaos that eventually births sin and the, the maturing of sin only leads to death. We can't blame Satan for everything. We can't always say you know, get deep behind me Satan. It should be, Lord, help me to put my desires into check. Help me to see where my desires have gone wrong, have gone wrong, have gone astray. <clears throat> In what way does this war within hinder our relationships, our bond, and our unity with others? Let's read verse 2 to 3. You desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions saying you really want something but not out of necessity so you kill in order to get it with our words, with the way we look at someone or what we do, right? But those things then result in us actually not having peace. We miss the point. There's that sometimes that secret jealousy that occurs, right? We're jealous about someone's gifts or possession or power. That stirs up trouble. But how is this possible? When we have unrepented sins, unrepented sins, those lusts and passions and pleasures, the uncontrolled desires, become recipe for warfare. When we've not dealt with those secret things, those iniquities of our hearts, it eventually becomes warfare with others. There will always be an outward display. It always spills over. There's an, always an outward display of the heart's condition. It's in reality. Where there is outward conflict we must look to see what it is, first of all, that we're struggling with. What are we're struggling with internally. Is it that desire to be right all the time? That causes us not to acknowledge our wrong deeds? to be difficulties with sexual purity that has resulted in those passions within us overwhelming us. They need to be crucified. When your parents request that you do something, you think, but they can do it. Is it not because there's a sense of we, we don't understand what authority means, or we don't want to submit to authority, I can make my own decisions, we say. We desire, we lust, we covet, we ask all to satisfy our unsatisfiable flesh. The world says, I think this is Al Capone. He says, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the girls. But you see, the getting, the getting, the getting, the getting. For no satisfaction. That's what the world promises. One thing after the other. Continuously and continuously. But all the getting never stops. Because the thirst of the heart cannot be quenched by worldly solutions. It only creates individuals who are constantly at war within themselves and with others. And that's what the world is about. Getting more and more. Let me step over someone else to get that promotion. That's the war that occurs. That's worldliness. How do we fight against this? How do we fight against worldliness that raises its ugly head within us as Christians? This is our third point. The war won. Note the change in tone in transition as we go from chapter verse 2 to 3. We read this. You desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. If we highlight do not have and cannot obtain, James is offering us here a differential diagnosis where there are certain symptoms that overlap in a condition. But we must discern that what is the actual root of this issue. This is what he's doing here. James is trying to diagnose here the reason why Christians are warring. Why are they killing each other with their lips? Why do they slander one another? Why do they show contentious behavior? Why are they fighting? Two reasons he gives to us. read verse 2 to 3 again. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. They do not ask. There is no prayer to seek God's will. And when they do ask, They ask wrongly to spend it on their passions, to satisfy their passions. They are wasting their prayers on their passions. They pray amiss and do not align their prayers to God's will. You see, whilst the first part of verse 2 tells us about the outcome of our worldliness in the lives of Christians within the church community, James is transitioning and telling us the reason for worldly desires and worldly behaviours. He's saying that there's a barometer here of worldliness and it's rooted in professing Christians not being given to prayer. Prayerlessness. He's saying that a professing Christian focuses on prayer for selfish ambitions or just plain self-focused prayers not much care for those that are around us not praying and seeking and getting on our knees for those that are friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and just thinking about ourselves is the root of this for a Christian these two barometers are a test of our dependency on God the same do we depend on the world, or do we depend on God? That's what, if we're not praying, then that's what it shows. Or if we are praying, but it's only about us, then actually we're depending on things of the world. We cannot serve two masters, Scripture says. We cannot do it. You have to serve one or the other. How do we then war against this worldliness? those desires and passions and pleasures that lend themselves to worldliness, it's only by prayer and supplication. By prayer and supplication, we we must bring all the warring within and strife with others, those anxieties to the feet of Jesus. In submission and surrender as a church, as a people, as a body of Christ, His beloved bride. We must never think that we can change someone else based on our words. It's impossible. Someone that you're not in agreement with, you don't change them because of your words. True and lasting change comes from asking God for change. But the change that you're asking for is, Lord, change my heart. Change their heart. Let us come to unity. That's the prayer. Pray that God changes your heart towards that person. Pray that God changes your desires towards that person. That person that may not speaking to you anymore. That they've done wrong to you and you've forgiven them. Pray that the Lord causes you to pray for them. That your desires change towards them the way you see them. The pain. Sometimes you have that pride not to forgive. Pray that God takes away that pride. Pray for the other person on the other side. Likewise. See in every argument or fight there is a desire for justice. We just want to be right. We want to be happy to know that we are on the right side of the war. That's what drives every national war. Everyone says I'm on the right side. The terrorists say they're on the right side. The West say that they're on the right side. There is no solution unless we surrender to Christ, unless we come and surrender our passions are raging within us to Christ, unless we surrender the contention and the, 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 the barriers between us to Christ, the pursuit of happiness. Right, J.R. J- Packer says this, he says, pleasure seeking as we learn from experience is a barren business. Happiness is never found until we have the grace to stop looking for it and give our attention to persons and matters external to ourselves. <laughs> See, the, the pursuit of pleasure or our passions is futile if we seek such things to fulfill just only my joy, my happiness. How do we find that satisfaction that resolves our pursuit of those passions? It's only found in Christ. How do we know this? The scripture tells us. James tells us. James says in verse 4. He says, you adul- adulterous people. James is warning these Christians and us today. He's saying, God the Father in the Old Testament. Who has declared himself as the husband of Israel. He's saying to us today. right? He said in Isaiah 54 verse 5. He's chosen people. He's called them. He's husband, that they are his people, his bride, and he is their husband, he has called them, he has chosen them, he has loved them, he has made a covenant with them to never leave nor forsake them, but we know that God's people stayed, they wandered, prone to wander, we, we sang earlier, various ways they left and did not fulfill that covenant on their side. They sinned and they played the harlot. They committed spiritual adultery with others and other nations. They worshipped idols in the lands that they were taken to in exile. They did not stop to wait for the Lord. They sought to seek and take things into their own hands. They had their own desires that we must no, by our way that we will make this possible. God is not here. He's not looking after our own right, they say. That word adulterous, when we look at it deeper, it talks about adulteresses. You see, in sending his son Jesus Christ clothed in human flesh, we are born in Christ, born of Christ, born forth by the word of truth. We are made spiritually alive. We have a better covenant in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the people of Christ. He has called us his own. He has ransomed us and redeemed us, paid the price on the cross for our sins. He nailed it to the cross. He has made us white as snow. That is our identity. He has made a covenant through the shedding of his blood on Mount Calvary for your sake and my sake. James is warning against spiritual adultery. Let us not be adulteresses, seeking satisfaction in the world, seeking things that are not of Christ, seeking things that never brings true and lasting satisfaction. We must seek Jesus, who gives us access to the Father, who has ended all strife, who has suffered in our place, who did not speak out when he was suffering, when they beat him, when they spoke against him, when they reviled against him, he fulfilled and strived on and pursued our joy. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his desires and passions. That's what Galatians says, 5.24. See, our identity as true Christians is that our desires and our pleasures and our passions have been nailed to the cross of Christ. What a privilege to just be free from those things. That is our identity. We must never forget that. See, prayerlessness and prayers laced with wrong motives only breed discontentment. The reason, the primary reason why we as Christians struggle even with our good desires and our pursuit of good pleasures is because we are not enjoying the peace and contentment that comes from continuous spiritual prayer and fellowship with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ as we're not pursuing that, then we can't pursue those things with our brothers and sisters, pursuing peace with our brothers and sisters. We need the help of Christ. We must continuously come before Him to pray. We must continue to commune with Him on a daily basis with the help of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to ask. That's what James is saying. Scripture is clear that if we don't ask, we don't receive. If we don't knock, the door won't be opened. If we don't seek, we won't find. But what are we asking for? We're asking for God's will. We're asking that God's will to be done. That God's will, the Bible says we shall receive God's will when we pray. That God's will, we will find that God's will and his way will be shown to us. He will open it to us when we ask. See, so no one can know the Father unless we know Jesus, who has revealed the Father. In him dwells the fullness of God. If you're not trusting in Jesus, and not repented from your sins, then you have no access to this infinite spiritual blessing that we have in Christ, that's been bestowed on him. Him that has received all authority in heaven and on earth. He has to be our primary desire. If you don't grow to know Him as your Lord and Saviour, if you don't desire, desire Him and hunger to be with Him, hunger to, to, to know Him, thirst for righteousness, then we prove that we're still holding on to worldly ways. How is this war on worldliness won? It's won by growing in desiring Jesus as your greatest and satisfying person. It's hungering for that. Lord, I want you to be the number one focus of my life. The number one thing that I pursue. That all these other things are the works of man. I want to know you, Lord. Teach me. And the Bible says he will answer that request. We must grow in intimacy with Christ. Each day knowing that we are the bride of Christ. How do we treat one another? We know it, It's husband and wife waking up in the morning. You say hello to one another. You greet one another. You make each other maybe a cup of coffee or tea. And you speak to each other throughout the day. It's conversational isn't it? And that's how we are to be with the Lord. Talking with him. Praying with him. It's not just a time that we associate... Oh yeah, this time we am going to pray. We commune with God. commune with Christ each and every day. Despite little things. Stepping out of the house. Lord, be with me. Strengthen me. Guide me. Lord, help my desires for those around me. My neighbour that I walk past every day... For the last year I can say hello to. Help me to say hello to them. Let's grow in fellowship... And love with other believers. When the Lord works in our desires and our intimacy with Him, it only spills out in love for others. If the, if the negative is, is similar, where the contentions within us and the striving and the, the war within us spills out in our relationships and warring with others, then actually pursuing Christ and desiring Christ within our hearts and growing to love Him and He's making our hearts more tender to Him, then it spills out to love with others. See, coming together with those people on a Sunday is not solely just what we receive. It's great, the fellowship's great, but it's what you can give to others others as well. How you build up others. That's so important. How can you use your gifts to strengthen and edify the church, to edify the body of Christ? That's how we live in harmony and love with one another. Knowing that I'm going to bless my brother today. going to bless my sister today. So we're not just focusing on ourselves that even however the week may have been or the month, but knowing that I'm here to sharpen one another like iron. Those who are, are married, those who are looking to get married, our lives are not the sum of our pleasures with our spouses. What does God have in plan for your marriage? What is his plan and purpose? It's to reflect Christ and how he loved the church. And how the desire is for us that he condescended to come down to come to save sinners. That's the reflection of our marriage. It goes beyond. God has blessed us with wonderful pleasures within marriage. And we enjoy companionship and love. But there's something greater. There's a spiritual purpose. For those who are single amongst us. There's this notion that sometimes the singles have so much time, but in reality, sometimes the singles can fill up like those times of other things, but the pursuit is still the same. Pursue Christ. Grow to love Him and desire Him more than anything. More than anyone that you may pursue. More than your work. More than anything in your life. Let that be your pursuit. We have much work to do, Christians. How do we overcome anxiety? How do we become free from lust? How do we flee from temptation? How do we control and deal with pride in our lives? How do we find contentment in abundance and also in little? How do we face loneliness? How do we face the challenge of leading our home as as men? How do we face the challenge of of loving our husbands as as, as a woman? How do you love your husband? How do you face the fears about the future? I don't know what's going to be ahead in 2022. How do you honour your parents when they're seemingly annoying you? Present your requests to God. Do not fail to make your desires a matter for prayer. Repent and ask for new affection. New affections for Jesus. Put all your trust in Jesus. Surrender to him. Surrender what is in your heart. Surrender your relationships. Surrender your marriage. Surrender your singleness. Surrender your jobs. Surrender everything. Knowing it's him that has it in his hands. And trust him. Love him. Live for him. And strive to live in peace with others. Amen.